Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 29th episode, the Carl Wendlinger episode. And yes, as far as I can find, the Austrian driver uh, drove for Sauber back in 1995 and was the last person to sport the number 29. The last time this happened, I decided, you know what, I don't care. I'm not going to look back into the 90s to find out who drove um, at this number. I don't remember what number it was, and then I just used a stat. Um, But I did the extra work for you guys. It is, in fact, Carl Wendlinger. So there you go. He is the last person to have 29 on his car. Um, But, yeah, I am here after the Singapore Grand Prix in the middle of this Asian doubleheader because F1 also returns to Japan this weekend. Uh, for us North Americans, it's going to be a late one. Quality in the race will be very late Saturday night. But anyways, let's review how the drivers and teams did around the Marina Bay circuit before we talk about Suzuka. It's lights out and away we go! This weekend, the big story heading in was actually about 2021, and it was also off track. And that, of course, is the possible budget cap breach. The teams associated are Aston Martin and most notably Red Bull. I think all this proves that at the moment, the 2021 championship is still more exciting than what we have at the moment. But I digress. This is all speculation at the minute, so I won't be making too many comments, just that I don't really believe that like a well-oiled machine like Red Bull Racing would make such a fundamental error. However... If they did go slightly over to, you know, take a minimum penalty, like they deliberately saw, you know what, if we go a bit over, we're only going to face this. I think that a proper penalty would be not to take away championship points and any silly thing like rewarding Lewis a title as much as it would make me happy to win an eighth title. I don't want him to win it that way anyway. Um, But no, seriously, like unbiased I think a fair penalty would be to take aero testing time away, lower their budget cap for next season so they have less money to develop and spend, and also fine the team on top of that as well as a public reprimand. But who really cares about a public reprimand anyway? Um, Yeah, I don't believe they should be losing Max's driver title whatsoever unless it was an egregious overspend, which again, I just can't see Red Bull doing. That would be just very stupid and not something a team as great as they are would do. Anyways, um, enough about that. We also have more speculation about who would be suiting up in that second Williams seat, and to the delight of everyone, it was Alex Albon, and thankfully he was able to compete the whole weekend. Although, I think based on how the Williams fared this weekend, I think we were right to say that it was better for Nick DeVries to not race in that car. Um, But yeah, I'll talk a little bit more on him later. The last piece before I quickly summarize the on-track action was uh, the record-breaking 350th race entry of Fernando Alonso passing Kimi Raikkonen for most all-time. Congrats, Fernando, you beauty. That's a joke if you remember Qatar last year, Team Radio afterwards. They said something like, get in there, you beauty. And I always thought that stood out like so weirdly because you know, I feel like most of the guys on team radio are, or sorry, most race engineers, I should say, um, are like, I find there, maybe there's like one American, um, a lot of them are British, uh, there are a couple Italians because of Ferrari and some other teams, but it was just a weird, I don't know 
where that guy was from. It sounded very strange. Um, so that always stuck out of my mind for some reasons. Get in there, you beauty. Anyway, uh, that, yeah. <laughs> and then Frando went on saying like, ole, ole a bunch of times. But anyway, uh, before quality, I also just want to quickly mention my boy, Lewis Hamilton. First time going fastest in FP1 this season. Um, uh, didn't imagine I'd be saying that, uh, in 2021, but anyways, Mercedes practice pace did have me very excited for quality and it, it held up. Quali was epic, guys. The sessions started on inters. A lot of drivers struggling for grip as they tiptoed around the 23 corners of the Marina Bay circuit. In Q1, Ricardo suffered another sad elimination with Norris just surviving going 15th fastest. Big yikes for McLaren. I was very worried about their pace. Danny Rick joined the Williams pair and surprise exits from Bontas and Ocon. Uh, yeah, not a good weekend at all from the Frenchman. Uh, dare I say his worst of the season. Yeah, just brutal from him. In Q2, it was starting to move a bit towards slicks. The Astons actually gave it a go. Um, they were actually running quite well up until this point. It did not pay off. It may have cost the team a double Q3 appearance. Actually, uh, Stroll was running very well. Uh, Joe and Schumacher were also out in Q2 with the Astons. And then in a very surprising turn of events, Lewis Hamilton showing up at the sharp end of the timing screens, but George Russell was only managing to go 11th fastest. He kind of struggled in practice as well. And a bit during the race, I'm not sure what was going on with his Mercedes. It didn't seem to have the same issues as Lewis's. Not conspiring here or anything. Not at all what I'm saying, so don't don't get that idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was strange. It did seem like he was having some issues with his Mercedes, um, and it led to his Q2 elimination. He did miss out by six thousandths of a second, by the way. K-Mag literally escaped by the skin of his teeth. That was very unfortunate for George, but I'm afraid he probably wouldn't have been fighting for much at the top anyways. Um, in Q3, it was moving a lot more towards slicks and uh, I think enough that most of the teams opted to start on them push a bit through the pain and wait until the track ultimately came back to them so that's what mostly everyone did except for a couple one of them being Yuki Sonoda and it led to him who decided to gamble on the inters to top the timings in Q3 at the beginning which was hilarious um, but it was only momentarily before the slick runners took the advantage Lewis Hamilton was the first one putting two seconds on Yuki Sonoda. And at that point, I was like, oh, wow, like, Lewis is on it right now. And he was looking extremely fast. But then Alonso went quicker than him. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what is going on? Alonso, is this guy pulling, like, Canada out of his hat again? And Leclerc went to the top. And then it was back to Hamilton. And then it was Alonso again, which I was still like, how is Alonso still in this fight? And then I think it went back to Leclerc once more. And have you noticed that I, I've been leaving out um, a name or maybe even a whole team right now? Uh, yeah, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego, a.k.a. Max Verstappen? It looked like he would smash the pole lap on two separate occasions at the end of Q3. The first one he backed off, which was strange. And I thought, you know what? Maybe not worry about this one. You'll get it on the next one. And the second time, it... I swore I saw him, like, up nine-tenths, like, after the first two sectors. I could be wrong on that. And then all of a sudden, he's pulling into the pits. And I was like, did this guy seriously just pull into the pits on a pole lap? And, yep, he, he pretty much did. But he would have been disqualified, or at least Red Bull think he would have been disqualified, had he not done that because the team blew it by underfueling the Dutchman's car. 
a rare mistake that, you know, Ferrari would have been absolutely ripped for had they done that. Um, but Red Bull gets off because they have massive leads in the championship and they haven't made that air countless times this season like Ferrari has with other things. But anyways, <laughs> I'm going off on a lot of tangents already this podcast, guys. This is, this is going to be a long one, I can tell. We're still in qualifying. Um, but yeah, in the end, after a wild quality, it was only fitting that the top three would be separated by 54 thousandths of a second. Like, literally five times quicker than the blink of an eye. Um, just, just wild stuff. Three different teams as well. The pole master Leclerc taking his ninth of the season, followed by Perez, who shot up at the perfect time in the end, um, and Hamilton settling for third on the grid. I was watching this at, at my girlfriend's family's cottage, and I was alone in the room when I was watching this early in the morning, and I was on my feet quietly, just like with my hands in the air. I thought Lewis was going to do it, but unfortunately, no, he had to settle for third. Verstappen unfortunately had to settle for eighth on the grid after the fuel miscue but anyway let's get into this race guys we're already 10 minutes in and we haven't even got into the gas darn race but yeah so the start was delayed like the uh race review of this podcast (laughs) um due to the weather but to be honest actually because i was at the cottage i had to watch this race late actually unfortunately i absolutely hate doing it but i didn't have to go through the pain that some of you may have uh So that was good, I guess, but as I expected when the race finally got underway, the start proved super important. It was basically start and hope you finish. (laughs) Because Checo took the lead in the turn one, Sainz got ahead of Hamilton, Norris jumped a lot so when Verstappen uh, lost a big time when he bogged down at the start, um, while Ricardo was also a big gainer from the back. Uh, This led to Leclerc having the impossible task of... um, passing the Red Bull with its straight line advantage at a track like Singapore. And at times throughout the race, it looked like Leclerc would would get that chance, but then it never came to be. Hamilton was stuck behind a struggling Carlos Sainz, who just could not keep up with his teammate at all, citing some tire issues. And Sainz was, he looked a bit lost this weekend. Unfortunately, I predicted him to win the race. He was nowhere close. Um... But yeah, even with Verstappen's insane pace advantage at the back of the grid, I think he was down in 12th at one point, found himself stuck behind quite a few cars that were slower than him. He was able to make moves, eventually a couple nice lunges into the hairpin. But at the end of the day, though, this race was not about pace. It was all about attrition, a word that you probably heard often this weekend because there was quite a few retirements started out with Latifi taking himself and Joe out of the race uh, after Joe's bad start left him at the back. Latifi uh, just literally did not see Joe at all and squished him into the wall. They both retired right after that. Latifi actually has a five-place grid penalty for the Japanese GP for the incident, so essentially it does nothing because he would have been P20 anyway. Um, But after that, Alonso lost power in his Alpine after doing a great job defending from Verstappen uh, and his charge. Uh, then after that, Ocon's Alpine shortly thereafter decided to quit. Uh, Albon joined his teammate in the garage later after he sent his Williams into the barriers. And then later in the race, Sonoda decided to follow suit. And that doesn't even include all the other drivers that had moments that sent them down the order. In the end, only 14 drivers finished the race and plenty of them 
had moments that cost them time, including two of the world's best, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. I'll get to those in a minute. So I guess I'll quickly mention George Russell's just shocker of a race. Starts the race from the pit lane, and after being stuck behind Bottas, has a little moment of his own with Valtteri. He decided to put on the slick tires first before everyone else during the VSC for Alonso. Then it went horribly wrong for George. Well, well as, as bad as it could go without shunting. Um, he was sliding around miles off the pace. He decided to keep going, though, uh, instead of coming back for inters. So I guess props to George for not shunting. Um, and then when Sonoda eventually brought out the safety car, uh, was a, that was about when the whole grid decided, okay, now it's time to go to slicks. Right around when George Russell actually had set a fastest lap. Basically a guinea pig for everyone else. Some had gone a bit earlier, and those that did lost out massively, like uh, Gasly and I believe Vettel as well. Um, And the McLarens had both stayed out, and they both benefited massively from this, especially Ricardo, who found himself shortly in P5. And you're wondering, wait a second, if Hamilton's in P4 behind Sainz, and Sainz is behind the top two, how... Is Ricardo in P5 when Lando's still there and, and Max is still there? Well, let me just explain that really quickly. Because Hamilton, after following signs for a long, long time, getting frustrated, went straight on into the barriers and damaged his front wing in a quite uncharacteristic accident, I guess is is the way to say it. Um, it was just, yeah, he, he was clearly very frustrated. And I think... We saw it with George's practice incidents that the Mercedes was struggling a little bit with the ride quality as it has most of the season. And with the tricky conditions, any little mistake could have sent you off. But you think with a world-class driver like Lewis that, you know, he would be able to not put it in the barriers. But anyways, he did. The frustration got to him. And that wasn't even his only moment of the race. I'll get into that one a little bit later as well. So after Hamilton was out of the way, um, Max found himself stuck behind Lando for a while, and he had this massive lockup shortly after one of the safety cars that sent him back to last place because the field was all bunched up. So not only did he go straight on and everyone passed him, he also had to pit um, because of those flat spots on his Red Bull. And that was, I think, another one just getting a little bit impatient it was a very frustrating race for Max as well. Probably even more frustrating than Lewis's, to be honest. Although at least Max has 11 wins to his name this season. Um, so, yeah, another kind of strange incident. We haven't seen that from Max much this season. But, again, the if you, if you went offline in this race, you were in trouble. Um, especially with the slicks. Not so much with the inters when it was still wet. Um, you could have managed, like, Max with those lunges earlier in the race. But... Again, a tough one for him, sent him and made his day even harder. Uh, And then there was also an incident with Russell and Schumacher at some point in the Grand Prix that don't even remember when that was, but George with kind of another moment that made him look a little silly with what he said directly after the incident, he was like, oh, what happened there? Uh, And he also made some other comment at some other time that Schumacher's like, defending like it's the race of his life while they're like both lapped down. Um, but yeah, I think that one was definitely more George's fault than mix. If we're going to lay fault on someone for sure, it was more George's fault. 
But yeah, anyways, there was also another moment with Checo in the safety car that actually gave him a post-race five-second penalty. So you're thinking, oh, Leclerc, if he was struggling to pass Checo, he's probably within five seconds, right? No, Checo, this absolute monster, had one of the best races of his career. In my opinion, the best race of his career. And it makes you think, is this guy the street race king? Because he's won in Monaco. He almost picked up a pole in Baku. And now he's won in Singapore. And, well, I think you'd have to say that he is at least the street king in 2022, having won at probably the two most streety street tracks in Monaco and Singapore. Um, but, yeah, this this debate of whether this is Checo's best drive ever, I think, is actually a kind of a fun one because I think if you're a Checo fan or, yeah, if you're a Checo fan, you're probably more proud of what he did in Sakir because that was probably a bit of a more historic race. However, if you are one of those people, you're going to absolutely hate what I'm about to say. Sakir was a special drive. There's no, there's no doubt about it. The circumstances led to a really, really awesome story. And that will never, ever be taken away from Checo. His first win in his, his career, his long career, at a team like Racing Point, um, with his drive in question for 2021, it was amazing. And that is why Drive to Survive heavily covered that moment because it was, it was Hollywood, honestly. Like, it was spectacular. However, Brad, get to the point. It was a very overrated drive. Where people like to place this drive in all-time respects is so, so damn high. And it's just... It's just stupid. Like, look at what happened in the race. The reason Checo was sent back to 20th was because he was caught in an incident between Charles Leclerc, who, I mean, he had a good season in 2020, but he wasn't really a contender. Ferrari was kind of bad. But he took out Max Verstappen, who was P2 in the championship, I believe, or at worst, P3. I don't remember if Bottas is P2 or not. But anyway, Lewis Hamilton was sick with COVID. So George Russell took his spot and as well as George did, and as good as a driver George is, he's not Lewis Hamilton. And even then George and Valtteri had the race pretty much all but locked up until the, the, the pit stop, the double pit stop from nightmares for Mercedes that saw them mix their tire sets and basically just completely sabotage their own driver's race. Um, and Bontas was never able to recover from that strangely, but then George was recovering brilliantly. And he even, even he was looking like he could have caught Checo after he had made his way through the field. And just to, just to be clear, I'm not saying Checo did nothing. Of course he went through the field. He was quicker than his teammate that day. That racing point was also a phenomenal car and should have been, it was the second fastest car that day for sure. He passed the Red Bull, he passed his teammate, and it was nice, but Russell was catching him, and then Russell has the slow puncture, and then his basically his only rival for the rest of the race was gone. So if you think about it, no Mercedes, no Max Verstappen, he basically had to beat Alex Albon and his teammate to win the race. Yes, he had to do it from coming from behind, but it was secure. Like, it's a different layout than the regular barring track, but both of them 
were very possible to overtake. So Max literally just won Spa from P14 by like a mile. So, I mean, why isn't that considered one of the most special races? Because the storyline and he's in the best car. But anyway, maybe that's a bad comparison. But anyways, yes, this Singapore Grand Prix, Checo controlled it right from the start. He gets the jump. He doesn't put a foot wrong. He manages with the team the the conditions changing and everything that could have went wrong. He even had like an engine weird like mix up at some point that seemed to go away. Checo was flawless, faultless. I don't know which one I was gonna say, but one of them, a flaw faultless. <laughs> I'm stupid, but anyway, yes, Singapore is his best race of his career over Sakir any day, debate me. So the final results, Checo picking up his second victory this season, fourth career win in P1. Leclerc in P2, who I think actually drove brilliantly, even though he fell seven seconds behind in the end. Uh, P3 was Sainz, who probably picked up his worst podium of the season. Um, Lando Norris, P4. Didn't put a foot wrong as well. Benefited from that great strategy and the retirement of Alonso and Verstappen and Hamilton having their struggles. But still, Lando was sensational. Um, and then his teammate, Ricardo, his best result of the season from P16, finishes in P5. A huge result for McLaren. Um, again, he gained massively from that safety car and that strategy. Stroll, though, he was P6 with his best result of the season by far as well. Great job from him. Verstappen finished P7 after his up-and-down affair. Oh, yes, how could I forget? I forgot about Hamilton's other incident. I'll quickly just finish the results, I guess, because P8 was Vettel, P9 was Hamilton, and uh, P10 was Pierre Gasly. So Hamilton's second mistake, he was in a three-way battle uh, trying, to get beha- uh, trying to get past Sebastian Vettel. Verstappen's right on his tail. And I think the DRS that he was getting from Vettel was helping him stay ahead of Max. But for whatever reason, Lewis again gets uh, gets impatient and he tries to go offline and make this lunge into basically a turn that you don't really ever try to overtake in Singapore. And he goes straight on again because there is absolutely no grip out on the wet spot of the track and basically gifts the position to both Vettel and uh, Verstappen, and then Verstappen was able to pass Vettel since he Vettel didn't ha- he didn't have the protection that Hamilton had by being behind Vettel. So Hamilton loses out again by his costly mistake, and it's it's a tough one as Mercedes only picks up two constructors points. Uh, but yeah, Max Verstappen leads the way with 341 points. He still has a great chance to clinch the title in Japan. I'll get into those title stipulations in a moment. Charles Leclerc leads Sergio Perez by a mere two points for P2. And falling behind in that fight now, he said it was his goal. I'm afraid it's not going to happen now, is George Russell, who is now 32 points behind Checo. While Sainz sits only one point away from Russell in P5, so Russell... He has to worry more about his P4 than he is uh, trying to catch those two, Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez, at this point. And it's so sad to think about. I thought that he might have had a chance to catch up to that pack, but Lewis Hamilton is now in P6 still, 
32 points back from the top five. Somewhere you would expect Carlos Sainz to be or Sergio Perez to be, not Lewis Hamilton. It's painful. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Norris is P7 with exactly 100 points, while the Alpines of Ocon uh, and Alonso in P8 and P9 are at 66 and 59 points, respectively. So they are those two combined are only slightly ahead of Lando Norris, yet this is a tight battle between McLaren and Alpine. What does that say about Daniel Ricciardo, unfortunately? Uh, in P10, though, is Valtteri Bottas, who still remains scoreless since Canada. In the constructors, Red Bull leads Ferrari 576 to 439, while the Scuderia take a big chunk away from Mercedes' hopes of catching them for P2. Merck are now 66 points back. That is quite a ways to go with only five races to go, I believe it is. Uh, yeah, five to go. Um, McLaren took P4 from Alpine with a massive 22-point swing. Alfa Romeo stays P6, but less comfortably as Aston Martin jumps both Haas and AlphaTauri for P7 after scoring 12 points this weekend. That's 33% of their whole season contribution so far. Incredible. Haas was the only team to classify both their cars, but still go scoreless. Something that they would have done in 2021, as much as I hate to say it. While Alvatari scored one point, they're actually level with Haas now, so they both sit three points back of Aston. The three of them are sitting so close in that battle for P7, while Williams remain in a distant P10 after a horrendous showing in Singapore, double DNF, and no pace. Now it's time for my prize demise and surprise. So the prize, usually I... If, if one's very obvious and I've talked about him a lot, I won't pick him and I'll pick something else to talk about. But this one just has to be Checo um, after the bad stretch that he's had and even said to the media that he kind of blamed them for the light that they've been painting him in, saying that he's a mistake for Red Bull and all that. This win was huge for his case and just everything. You know, it was it was an amazing performance. So hats off to Checo. He did have he did have stuff to gain is it wasn't like this was a worthless win so he gets the prize but I do definitely have to shout out McLaren and Aston for those two huge points hauls in their constructors battles they were just the better team at managing the race and that is why they came away with such big results the demise is easily my team Mercedes losing out massively in both the championship battles no chance for p2 for Russell no chance for P2 in the Constructors' Championships. Unfortunately, there has to be some big DNFs coming um, from Ferrari for that to happen. And the bigger L, even more so than you know, just the standings, is that Lewis was 56 thousandths away from pole position. And had he pulled that off, they might have been able to pick up that win that they've been so hungry for all season and still don't have and I just think that going forward it's going to be the Red Bull and Max Verstappen show and they might have lost their last chance at a win this season and it makes me want to cry so the surprise I have to say is signs is poor showing I thought I had to talk about this because it was my prediction that he would win 
and I said even last episode that I felt Sainz was was kind of closing the gap to Leclerc. I thought he had a brilliant Monza. At times, he had looked like he got close. It didn't seem like we've seen a race from Sainz that was like, oh, he's way far off. But this looked like the beginning of the season again, um, and it's kind of starting to trend in that in a wrong direction. I mean, Zandvoort wasn't great for Sainz. It was a bit of a, sc- a scrappy race for him. Um, I wouldn't say Spa looked great for him, although it's kind of hard to say where Leclerc was because he was far back. And Hungary, Sainz was... Signs was quite a bit off of Leclerc. Of course, Leclerc finished below because of the hard tire mess. But anyway, I would say I was wrong to say that Signs has looked closer to Leclerc as of late. It really was just Monza. Um, and even that one was hard to gauge because the race pace was, it was just the quality that Signs looked really good. And then he had a really good race. But of course, it was from the back. So. Yeah, let's let's just talk about the championship now. I think that's all I can say about science. The championship. I'm going to be talking about Aston catching Alfa Romeo. However, first we have to talk about the actual championship, of course. And these are the stipulations presented to you by Brake Bias, stolen from the race. So yeah, credit to the race for this one. Uh, I got this off of their website. So if wins, I guess I should say if Max wins, uh, Leclerc has to finish P2 or else um, he's the champion because Perez actually can't afford to drop more than five points to his teammate. Um, I guess actually if Verstappen wins without securing the fastest lap point though, Leclerc needs to finish uh, third or lower for Max to be the champion. So, yeah. If Verstappen finishes second at Suzuka with the fastest lap point, he needs Leclerc to finish outside the top four, so fifth or lower. If Verstappen finishes second, he will also need Perez to finish outside of the top four or in fourth place without the fastest lap. If Verstappen... You guys taking all this in? (laughs) Um, If Verstappen is in third, which I... Yeah, he's only done once this season, he'll require Leclerc to finish outside of the top six or take sixth without fastest lap while he'll need Perez outside of the top five. Verstappen can actually still win it in fourth. He'll need Leclerc and Perez to finish outside of the top seven or, um, wait. Oh, Leclerc. Yeah. Perez can finish sixth with the fastest lap. Um, and then Verstappen could still win by finishing fifth. He needs Leclerc to finish 10th or lower. And then sixth is the lowest position Verstappen could seal the title. But that, he needs Leclerc to be completely out of the points and Perez to score less than two points, so P10 or lower. And those are all the stipulations. So it's still tricky for Max to win, but it is possible. I think a win is very much on the cards. And Leclerc can easily finish third. So, yeah, it's definitely very possible, but still... He needs the right things to happen. And it would be absolutely fantastic to see Red Bull claim the championship in Honda's home country. Of course, the team is technically not partnered with Red Bull anymore, but I'd say they're still affiliated. I don't know if that makes sense, but it would still be cool. A lot of uh, championships have been decided here in Suzuka, which actually is another thing I'm going to be talking about shortly. But anyways, to the actual reason we're doing this championship segment, 
I feel the McLaren and the Alpine battle will continue on until the end, but how often does a legitimate point-scoring team pass two other point-scoring teams in the constructors this late in the season? So that's why I want to talk P7 and more so Aston. Well, actually, P6 as well. So kind of this whole mix. I did a battle for P6 championship segment a while ago, and I'm claiming that I was the first person to say that Aston can grab P6. So that is a break bias exclusive. That's why you listen to this podcast. Alpha still has one point since Canada. Haas has scored 24 of their 34 points in this entire season in two race weekends. And that's not even including their other double points finishes. So basically they've picked up all their points in just three weekends. Um, Alpha Tari, super inconsistent, especially because of Yuki Tsunoda's performances. I don't think he's scored since... Spain, I think. Maybe he's grabbed like a point somewhere else. I think it's a point, no points in Spain for Yuki. And then Aston. If you think back to Australia, this team has improved an insane amount. And if they can have one more race like this, yes, there's not very many to go. They can have one more big points all while Alpha stays kind of on their current trajectory. They can have a real shot at P6, but they can't just be grabbing these P10s. It's still quite a ways to go. Uh, so one more big points all, and they're going to be right there. And that's if Alpha doesn't get any points finishes. Because I think if Alpha gets like even one more performance like Canada, they'll have sealed P- P6. Um, but I think that would be an insane turnaround for Aston and quite an insane collapse from Alfa Romeo who looked like they were going to be in the fight with McLaren and Alpine at one point. I remember talking about that earlier in the season and it's crazy because Alfa has been just nowhere near in that fight at all uh, as of late since Canada basically. But yeah, uh, we're going to pit again guys for the two-stop strategy because we have to talk about Suzuki now. So, the Japanese Grand Prix was first held back in 1976, but that was at Fuji. The F1 circus did not actually uh, head to Suzuka until 1987, and it started to immediately produce classics. Wow, I actually, I can't believe I just unintentionally said that word. That is, that's actually hilarious. <laughs> I wonder if F1 super fans that listen to this podcast know where I'm going with this, because from 87 to 90... The championships were decided at Suzuka four years in a row. And the famous two were the 89 and 90 uh, races, most notably because of their incidents between Ayrton Senna and Alain Prost. Do you see where I'm going with this now? If you still don't, that's okay, but you'll see in a moment. In 89, Senna and Prost collided near the halfway point of the race, um, and it was kind of this weird scenario where Senna just crashed out, they pushed his car back on the track, and he's like, I'm going to hop back in and win the race. Um, he got disqualified for that, so Prost won the title. And then in 1990, it's happened immediately. One of the best, most iconic Murray Walkers, famous, just uh, one of his best commentary lines. R.I.P. Murray. That was one of the best. Um, I think... 98 Belgian Grand Prix. I think I might have done that one for you guys too. That one is is just brilliant as well. 
Um, this is one of the worst race starts I've ever seen. I actually have butchered that. I don't remember the exact words, but it is hilarious. Um, uh, oh, this is quite appalling or something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, this 1991 Senna and Prost crashed out at turn one. So it literally did happen immediately and it gave Senna his second title. So Suzuka is quite a famous race, and you fast forward today, some epic races have gone down here. Um, Kimi Raikkonen's insane comeback as well, I think 2005, maybe it was 2004, it was 04 or 05, I think it was 05. Um, but then there's also tragedies like in 2014 when F1 lost Jules Bianchi. Um, and as of late, I would say it's been a Mercedes circuit uh, winning the past six times here. Although it was Valtteri Bottas who won in 2019, the last time F1 came to Japan because of COVID, of course. However, I doubt that it will be a Mercedes track again this season. Before I get into my predictions, I would also say that this weekend's storyline is, well, besides Max potentially winning the title, uh, would be the rumor in the paddock that DeVries has signed with AlphaTauri and it'll be announced at the Japanese Grand Prix. And then that announcement will be followed by the release of Gasly and the subsequent signing by Alpine and that announcement as well. So I really hope this is the case because... I don't want some scrub driving in the Alpine seat, for one. Um, it would be awesome to see DeVries finally get his seat. And, most importantly, it would definitely boost Logan Sargent's chances at getting the Williams seat. Guys, we could finally have an American back in F1. That would be fantastic, especially for the North Americans. Let's go. Um, my prediction for the Japanese Grand Prix, though, I got Max sealing the championship, guys. I want to see it happen here because it's going to happen, let's be honest. So I think the best place for that to happen would be here. And I think that here is a really real shot at this. So I'm going to say Max on pole and wins with a flawless performance to seal this championship. Um, with Sergio Perez and P2, Red Bull will be celebrating another 1-2 and another championship all the while, I have to sit there watching my favorite driver on the podium in P3, watching his 2021 title rival win his second championship in a row, and it's just going to make me cry. That's why I'm predicting that that will happen. <laughs> um, and my bold prediction, guys, last week was correct. I think that's like the first time all season I've got my bold prediction correct. Um, I th actually, I think I might have been... I might have been right with some other one, but it wasn't actually that bold in the end. I don't know. But this one was right, and I would say it should probably have an asterisk. It was that Vettel finished ahead of the Alpines. And to be fair, everyone finished ahead of the Alpines because they had a double DNF. But I will take the dub because Vettel had a good race. Um, he was ahead of Ocon, and even if Ocon didn't retire... He would have finished in the points with a good result and ahead of the Alpines. So, of course, the Alonso retire, retirement allowed this to happen. But I will take the dub anyway. And for two in a row, my bold prediction this weekend is going to be that Yuki scores his first points since Spain or whatever the hell it is at his home race. I would absolutely love for the Japanese driver on the grid to have a great race in Japan. 
That would be so, so cool. And I am praying it happens. I'm literally going to be cheering for Yuki more than anyone else this entire weekend. So let's go, Yuki. And that's going to do it, guys, for the Carl Wendlinger episode of Break Bias. I bet you forgot that it was his episode. And I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 30. I can't believe it. 3-0 next week after the Japanese Grand Prix. We'll be at 50 in no time, guys. And I appreciate all of you that listen to these and, you know, just enjoy these experiences with me. So with that, goodbye.